Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We have been, if you're new to us, we've been in a sermon series, Our Living Hope. We have been preaching through the book of 1 Peter, and this is sermon number 12. We're going to begin in verse 12 of chapter 4 today. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. I believe that. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? And last of all, therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful, thank you praise team, Faithful creator in doing what is right. There were more than two, but Jesus left us with two promises that I want to speak of as we begin our time in this passage this morning. Jesus promised us in Matthew's gospel chapter 24, as he was having those last few conversations on earth with his disciples, he said, I'm going to give you two promises. One, the gospel will be preached to the whole world. But then within that same context, he also looks at them and he says to them, you will be hated by all the nations. Wow. That, that, that sounds strange to us, especially us here in this country because we know so little about suffering. We know about aggravation. We know about getting our feelings hurt. 
We know about feeling left out. We know about not having a phone call returned or we know about all of those kinds of things. Someone getting our seat, that's been the, probably the cause of, of more immediate murders in a Baptist church than anything else. We know about that, but we know so little about actual suffering. Where is our suffering? If Jesus promised us that we would suffer for the faith, then where is it? Why don't we know about it? Why aren't we acquainted with grief as well? And, and, and I, I tell you, I, I think sometimes we must assume that perhaps we have circumvented such. Maybe We've gotten around it somehow or another. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we feel like that we must be just better uh, communicators in Jesus. We, we, we knew how to get the message across without being hated. I, I hope we would never, ever be that presumptuous. Because Jesus says, look, they're going to hate you. And you know why? Because they hated me first. And we ought to be trying to figure out, Christians, then, well, why doesn't the world hate us? I understand that to some degree we are seeing more of that than ever before, and we are going to see more and more of that as time goes on. But I will tell you this. If you just want to be an innocuous church attendee, you may never have to suffer for the faith. If you want to present a gospel that's nice and safe and all-inclusive, you probably will be just fine. You may never suffer. They didn't crucify Jesus because He fed hungry people. And they didn't crucify Him and hate Him because He cared for the homeless and the down and out. That's not why they hated Him. They hated Him because He gave them the truth. Now, He gave them also the answer. But if you look at the very first sermon Jesus ever preached in both Matthew and Mark's Gospel, the first word is repent. That is not a message that they wanted to hear. They were looking for a Messiah who would come and take His seat there in the sacred synagogue and boy, that he would just hang out with the religious folks and, and man, they'd just have a super group hug and he had finally let the Sadducees know that the Pharisees were the coolest and he liked them best and, and there were probably all kinds of ideas going on about what the Messiah would be like. And when Jesus came, he did not fulfill any of those ideas. He told them, your problem is not the Romans. Your problem is sin. Your problem is not out there, it's in here. It's not that which goes into a man that defiles him. It is that which comes out of him. You have a problem inside of you, and that problem is sin. And, and, and we won't chase this rabbit, but so far, it's the same problem that we have today. We have people today that are telling us all kinds of things about what is wrong with America, and they're offering all kinds of crazy ideas. That doesn't bother me, because the world has offered those ideas for years. But men, you remember in our last time together, week before last, we talked about critical race theory and ideas like that. Some ideas that actually some churches are buying into. That maybe the answer is Jesus and uh, on and on. Fill in the blank. I can tell you, Jesus is the answer. 
He is our peace. Paul says we don't recognize any man according to the flesh anymore. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It's not about the oppressed versus the oppressors. That's Marxism. And it has no place in the church. It is a lie that has led countries astray. And I fear it's leading churches astray right now as well. Our problem is sin. And the answer He's Jesus. Amen. You preach that. They won't like you. They won't like you. I think about people in years past that have suffered for the faith. And I, I kind of can't help but wonder, how would we process that today? If you look at John the Baptist, had he lived during our time, you know, they cut his head off. But... I almost think nowadays, and I'm not talking about uh, uh, heathens in the world. I, I guess I'm talking about heathens in the church. <laughs> but I know a lot of good, fine, upstanding folks that consider themselves Christians that would look at John the Baptist and go, well, you know what, he kind of asked for it. I mean, he never was shut up. He got, <clears throat> he got involved in politics, you know. That was his mistake. He looked at Herod and held him to account for an adulterous affair he was having and it cost him his head. And, and yeah, John the Baptist was a great guy and all of that. We, we, we sing the praises of people like that. I don't believe John the Baptist could keep a church nowadays more than a week. I mean, what, if you, what do you think about when people come in the door that he knew weren't right with God and didn't want to be? What if you had a pastor who started looking at him and go, hey, who told you a bunch of vipers to show up today? That's not how you're going to leave the association in baptism right there. I wonder how we would process John the Baptist. I know how Jesus processed him. He said, among those born of woman, there's none greater. There's none greater. What did you go out there to look for, he said. A reed shaken by the wind. Did you think John the Baptist would just be blown around by whichever direction the wind was blowing that day? Did you think he was going to follow the cultural trends and, and honor the ideas of those around him so as to fit in? No, I can tell you those born of woman, there is none greater than John the Baptist. wonder about Paul. He was beheaded. I can hear it now. Well, you know, he was pretty dogmatic. And man, he really made the Jews mad. And every time he went to a town, the first place he would go would be at the synagogue. And he'd always get in trouble. And they'd beat him half to death, run him off, and then he'd go somewhere else and preach. You'd think that he would finally learn. I mean, really, we're laughing about this. But I can tell you, nowadays when I see men of God and women of God who stand for the truth, I see Christians who ought to be standing with them. And like the church did for Peter and John, pray after they got locked up in jail. Pray that next time they'll have even more boldness. Not pray that they can get enrolled in sensitivity training at the community college. But pray that they'll have even more boldness next time. They got beat to death this time. Could you imagine that having a church pray for you? You got beat this time. Maybe next time we can get you killed, okay? That's what we pray for. <laughs> they would get killed. But how would we think it? Polycarp burned alive. Ah, oh, so needless, right? 
I mean, all he had to do was burn one piece of incense that says Caesar is God. They would have given him a certificate. They had Caesar passports. I just thought of that. I could have that. They had like Caesar passports. Really, you got a piece of paper. And everybody said, hey, I know uh, you a Christian. I uh, don't care about all of that. Did, did, did you burn your incense this year? Your paper's up to date. You can pull out your paper, your certificate. So, yeah, I burned my incense. I don't really think Caesar's God. <laughs> you don't have to really think it. Just do it. In your heart, you can know better. It's not a big deal. They were trying to talk Polycarp into doing it all the way to the brush pile. That's what a fine man he was. Even the Romans tried to talk him out of it. You know what his answer was? These 86 years I have followed my Lord and he has never one time, not once has he ever left me. He has never forsaken me, never turned his back on me and I will not turn my back on him like fire. And they burn him alive. Did Bonhoeffer well, he did get involved in an assassination plot. That doesn't sound very Christian, does it? <laughs> Wonder what the church thought about that. Well, the magisterial church of the day had already decided they hated him. Because they were in the pocket of Adolf Hitler. They had already decided. They knew which side of the bread their butter was on. And so they were already uh, just no more than a puppet church of Hitler. And, and so he was part of what we call the confessing church, a, a group of believers that truly stood for the sake of the gospel. And we can look back on all of these guys and, 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 and women that have died. Jim Elliott, I think about him. Did he not know that when he went into the Ecuadorian jungle that, well, these people, I can hear it now, they already had gods. It wasn't like they were atheists. They had gods. Why didn't he go in there and try to help them to discover the richness of their own faith instead of going in there to preach to them about Jesus Christ? How arrogant. You may think, Pastor, that's, that's a little over the top. No, I've already seen it. I've already had people say things within the last year about when you get in trouble for standing for the truth that was unnecessary unwarranted even unchrist like it was divisive well the truth will always be divisive jesus says they hated me they'll hate you give you one last example and we'll look at our text I see people all the time making posts about the thief on the cross. When people say, man, you know, and they're never wanting to talk about how cool Jesus was and how you can be so bad and Jesus will love you anyway. And that is also true. I hear people talk about the thief on the cross. Here's a good question. Always ask them, which one? And when they go, well, the one that asks Jesus to save him. Yeah, no, I still have the same question. Which one? Did you know both of them asked to be saved? That's right. One said, if, said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He was wanting a jailbreak. 
He was looking to escape the consequences of the deeds he had done in his life. He cried out that Jesus would save him. And Jesus ignored him. He never said a word to him. So when you go out and you share the story about the thief on the cross and how that when he cried out to Jesus Christ right in the moment of death, save us, that Jesus ignored him. Boy, Facebook might fact check you. <laughs> but it's the truth. It won't be Facebook. It'll be ignorant church attendees that don't understand why Jesus ignored him. He didn't come to get us off a cross or to save us from the seeds that we have sown. He came for an eternal problem, our separation from God. What he wanted to offer us was more than just a get out of jail free card for the here and now. He wanted to give us life and life eternal. And when the other thief just looked at him and said, Lord, that's the right word. Remember me when you come. That's the right phrase. He knew he was coming back. And he knew who he was. He called him by the right name. And he also knew what he was capable of. Well, let's talk about suffering. Understanding suffering. What a title. Because it is a difficult subject to broach. But first of all, from this passage, we can learn about understanding the character of these sufferings that we're talking about. The character of them. Peter gives us three characteristics of what we'll face. One, he says some of these sufferings can be expected. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be shocked at the fiery ordeal among you which comes for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. They will come. He says, and don't, don't think it's strange. We, we, he, he says, don't be shocked by it. Don't be thinking that, well, I trust Jesus and I'm following him. And, and, and why am I broke? Or, or, or why did my family get killed? Or, or, or why did, uh, you know, I, I went there to tell those people about Jesus and they hated me. And, or I went overseas and, and, and I was butchered by savages or whatever. He says, do not be surprised. Get ready to expect it because they will come. Now, we are surprised in our culture. You know it as well as I do. But but we're surprised because somebody hurt our feelings or, or somebody didn't recognize us uh, and, and the idea that we brought forth or, or, or that somebody uh, maybe ignored us in the grocery store and, and, and uh, maybe they didn't didn't know who we were. I, let me go ahead and tell you now, I, I'm paranoid every time I go out in public that I'm going to see somebody that I'm supposed to know and I don't. Because I, I, I know it can be touchy and, and it works okay as long as it's only you. Because I call you, hon, buddy, what's up, man? And then all of a sudden I look up and my greatest fear is about to come about. There's somebody else walking up and I need to tell them who you are. And I don't think honey's going to get it. 
Because I don't even remember who they are. <laughs> oh, we're surprised at that nowadays. I can't believe it. Peter says, if that stuns you, hang on for a while. You're about to really be amazed. You're about to really be amazed. Secondly, they're not only expected, they can be extreme. In verse 12, he talks about, again, the fiery ordeal. Prurosis is the word in the Greek. We get our word pyrite from it. It means fire. These are fiery trials, and they come to test you. That's parasmos. That's a word that means pressure. So we're talking about pressure. Pressing down, suffocating us that is set ablaze. I, I don't know how it could get much worse than that. But he says that is exactly what it will be like. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. Now you think about it. Sometimes we often think of suffering as being, well, like uh, dying for Jesus, uh, physically dying. And it's so easy from where we sit right here in this part of the world to say, yeah, I am willing to do that. Yeah, I'd die for Jesus. I bet we could say this morning, how many of you are, are willing to die for Jesus? And I bet 99% uh, of us would stand to our feet and say, yes, I'm, I'm ready to die for it. If we sung a song about it, I can't tell you you would join in. So why is it then we get mad and quit church because our feelings got hurt? That's a little bit less than dying, is it? Not well, but yeah. I, yeah, but that, that's different. Now, there wasn't any need in that. No, it, it's the same thing. It's just, it's just that when we say we're willing to die, that is so uh, hypothetical. That is so far away from, from our present situation. Uh, I would just say to you, uh, before we brag and boast about what all we're willing to sacrifice for God, how about letting somebody have an opinion that doesn't agree with yours and still love them? Let's just start out small and work our way up to a beheading, okay? I've never seen more people willing to die for Jesus. Among which there's so many not willing to live for Him. It really is astonishing. Sometimes. I think about something God told Jeremiah. <laughs> In Jeremiah chapter 12, you know Jeremiah, he had a rough time as a prophet. That's why he's called a weeping prophet. But in Jeremiah chapter 12, Jeremiah goes to God and he's telling God that there's a lot of bad things happening and there's a lot of folks that don't like the word that I'm preaching and the prophecies that I'm giving them. And he starts that out in, in chapter 12. By verse 5, God interrupts. And this is what God says to Jeremiah. His own prophet, listen to this. If you have run with the footmen and they have tired you out, then how will you compete with horses? If you ran with the foot soldiers and they wearied you, what will you do when the horsemen come, Jeremiah? He said, if you fall down in a land of peace, Jeremiah, he said, how will you do in the thicket of Jordan? And then he goes on to tell Jeremiah, he's, you can read it. 
I know you're thinking, ah, it's got to be made up. Read it. Jeremiah 12. He goes on to tell Jeremiah, you think the people on the outside are talking about you. You think your critics are coming from the outside, the, the congregation. He said, I tell you, members of your own household are cutting you down to size every day, Jeremiah. And you don't even know it. Wow. I bet Jeremiah said, thanks for the encouragement, Lord. I was really bummed. Feel better now. That's God's word to his friend. It's not that he doesn't love us. He's trying to prepare us. They're expected. They, they're extreme. Some of them can be encouraging. Verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Everybody may forsake you, but no. Spirit of God rested on you. I thought about that song we sing here. There's another in the fire. I love that song. There's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the water holding back the sea. And then from there, when I go down the road in the car, I just, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. That's all the words I know. But I know that part. There's another in the fire. I love that. There's some furnaces God will allow you to avoid, but there's some of them He's not going to air condition. But he will walk with you through them. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego didn't get to escape the furnace. But they didn't go in alone and they didn't come out alone. And it was amazing how God was with them. And I can tell you the same thing. Peter is telling us here in this epistle. He said, I can tell you, everybody may forsake you, but God will not. He will be with you till you draw your last breath. And then you will awaken in his presence in glory. But he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Be encouraged by that. And last of all, some are expected extreme encouragement. Some are escapable. Verse 15, he says, make sure that none of you suffers a, as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. This kind of gets us back to the thief on the cross. You get yourself in trouble, don't call that suffering for Jesus. You cheat the IRS, you go to jail. Don't say, well, I'm just in here because I stood up for Jesus. No, you're in here because you didn't pay your taxes. <laughs> Don't suffer as evil doer. Oh, man, I'm so persecuted. I got a speeding ticket today. Really? You're going to lay that one on Jesus? <laughs> I, I, it, it, it's easy to get that mixed up. Sometimes we cause ourselves problems. There's some of these pressures, fiery trials that we can escape. Don't be caught being an evildoer. I, I like the last one and we'll move on. A troublesome meddler. The, the Greek word is alatris episkopos. Now you hear the word episkopos. That's overseer. Alatris is other. The word means don't be overseeing other people's business. <clears throat> Don't be uh, overseeing other people's business. <clears throat> I love people that mind their own business. Don't you? Aren't they a blessing? I love people that mind their own business. Man, alive. 
I, I like minding my own business. I like it so much it's a wonder God ever called me to preach. Really. I don't like telling anybody anything. It is from God, and that's what I'm called to do. And I, I've been doing it a lot of years, and I'm going to do it till I draw my last breath, but I'm never comfortable with it because I'm telling you, I'm as big a sinner or bigger than anybody in here. I, I, I fail. I mess it up. I get it wrong. I'd love to just mind my own business. I can tell you, if God ever allowed me again in my life, and I doubt He will, to just be a church member, every pastor in the county is going to want me there. Because I'm going to come in church and sit down and mind my own business. It's a blessing. I don't know why that's not one of the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> don't, don't get in trouble overseeing other people's affairs. You get your nose broke because you poked it where it didn't belong and Jesus said, you just got to wear that one. <laughs> Secondly, we can understand the cause of these sufferings. Two causes he gives us. One, it's the, the depraved weakness of man. Verse 17, he said, for the time, it is time for the judgment to begin with the household of God and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel. We have people that don't obey the gospel. Notice he doesn't break us into really, really bad sinners and not so bad sinners and kind of okay sinners and then you work your way up to being saved. No, 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 no. You either obey the gospel or you don't. And obedience to the gospel is you come to Jesus Christ and you say, Lord, I am a worthless, no account sinner. Use whichever words you like. But I need your free gift of grace, your righteousness. I need for you to give that to me as a gift of grace. Because my righteousness on my very best day is absolutely worth nothing. It is as filthy rags in your sight, God. So I need for you, Lord. I don't deserve it, but I can't live without it. I can't die without it, God. I need for you to give me your righteousness, the righteousness that, that you earned by coming and dying on the cross, that, that you validated. You say you're faithful and just to forgive us. You are justified to forgive us. Not because I paid the price for my sin, but because He paid the price for my sin. And because of that, He can be justified when He forgives me of my sin. And when He looks at me, He doesn't see that flesh that I tried to whip into shape. No, He sees His righteousness and not mine. And praise the Lord, when He looks at His righteousness, He sees someone who is 100% righteous in His sight. That's what I have to have. So there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who've been obedient to the gospel and those who haven't. Man, I think one of the worst things that we ever started believing in this world is that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. I want to tell you, righteous people go to heaven. And unrighteous people go to hell. And how do you become righteous? It is a free gift of grace. It is not your doing. Oh, 
Oh, I don't care if you're down to four cuss words a week and one pack of cigarettes. That doesn't mean you're on your way. If you haven't hit your wife in over a week, good for you. It means nothing. It means nothing. We are worthless sinners without God's gift of grace. God's gift of grace. To pray wickedly. We live in a world of men who have not obeyed the gospel. That's why. He also says another reason for our suffering, this might throw us a little, is the divine will of God. Verse 19, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Suffering according to the will of God. Sometimes doing God's will leads to suffering. I don't care, care what Reverend Whizbang on channel What You May Doodle tells you. Oh, following Jesus, he not only will give you a new Cadillac, he'll give you a brand new house with a carport to wrap around that Cadillac. Amen? Oh, yeah. You just follow Jesus. I want to tell you something. Those guys are liars. I know. They sound strong. I, I, what, what, you, what did you want me to call them? Misled, misguided? No, they're liars. They're liars. They know they're lying. Their ministry is about them. Now, they're getting rich. When they start telling you things like, God's laid on my heart. I need an airplane. Only time God ever laid it on my heart that I needed an airplane, I was in a tree stand with my arm shot off. I thought I could really use an airplane. <laughs> Maybe a helicopter, because I'm not sure if I could have boarded one in, in flight at the time. I'm saying to you, sometimes following God. Jesus says, look, following me. He said, if you want to follow me, just remember, foxes at least have a hole to live in. I don't. I, I'm not the cure for homelessness always. Sometimes I'm the cause of it. Following me will cost you everything you have. Take up your cross. You'll need something to die on. Pull you on out of the pile, put it on your shoulder, and come on. Because I'm going to die. If you want to follow me, that's where he's going. The character of our sufferings the cause of them, and then last of all, the consequences of them. We, we learn that there's some consequences of suffering. We learn some things about ourselves, and we learn something about God. Last two things for the day. Verse 12, it says, These sufferings come to you for your testing. Skunks and roses, not the band. I think did I get that wrong? <coughs> Skunks and roses will teach you something about testing. If you kick either one, roses or a skunk, with your foot good and hard, 
you won't make them smell a certain way. They already smell that way. But you will bring out what was already in them. All you brought to the mix was pressure. Now, I, like I said, I don't like minding people's business, but if you were looking for something to kick, I'd find something other than a skunk. I won't make him stink. Cars hitting him in the road don't make him stink. No. They already stink. All they need is the pressure. What's so easy sometimes for me to look at my wife and say, well, you made me mad. She didn't make me mad. She just applied the pressure, you know? Boy, can't she. <laughs> People in your life don't make you act like a fool. You already were a fool. You just needed the pressure. And it brought it out. Brought it out. And you can smell like roses or you can smell like a polecat, but they're not going to make you any kind of way. So when you get done blaming everybody for all of the things inside of you that came out, I can tell you now, remember, it was not their fault. They just brought the element of pressure. That's what the word testing is here. And it helps us to understand what we're all about. And it's good for us. Sometimes we find out good things about ourselves. Sometimes we find out that man alive. I didn't know that I could trust God so much. I, I, I put my faith and trust in Him. And, and, and even though I was afraid, He walked with me right through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and man, that will encourage you. Really, I'm serious about that. And then sometimes you might get some pressure on you. God might allow some testing in your life and a problem shows up. There, there's something on the x-ray that should not be there. An, an attitude or some ill will or some hatred or some secret sin that you've already justified in your life. And that testing can help you to see that. Oh yeah, that's why the doctor does all that poking and mashing. Man, does it hurt here? <laughs> They're making it hurt. They want it hurt. I think they enjoy it. I like it when they get that needle out. Dr. Bond gave me one in the arm of the week for my shoulder. This might uh, be uncomfortable. I might do new shoes are uncomfortable. Put the needle in my shoulder. This is going to hurt like the dickens. Testing. We learn about God. We learn something about ourselves, and then we learn something about God as we close. Therefore, those who suffer, verse 19, also according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That word entrust is a banker's term in the Greek. When you make a deposit at the bank, I doubt any of you today are going to go by the bank to check to make sure your money is still in there. Some of you are going, I wish I had some in there. I know, but if, when you make a deposit, you take your hand off of it. They won't let you stay with it. Ooh, I'm not parked for my money. I'm sitting in that vault with you. No. You entrust it to them. You take your hand off. And you believe and have faith in them that it'll be there when you come back. That is the word in the Greek for entrust. As a matter of fact, 
I find this even more encouraging. Someone else used this word one time. When he entrusted his spirit to the Father, he was hanging on a cross and his name was Jesus. Father, I entrust my spirit to you. You'll take care of it. Man, suffering sometimes can help us understand something about God. One is that you can trust Him. You can trust Him. He won't leave you. He will not forsake you. Here's an old saying, I love it. So sometimes you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have. I can't help it. You may be tired of hearing it. But I'm just not tired of talking about it yet. And November 24th, I thought I was going home. Bobby in that office this morning. It was just me. Me and Bobby McGee. <laughs> I told him, I said, when you get to the point in your life that you're convinced, I'm going home, God. Boy, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like I'd have done this a long time ago if I knew it was going to be this cool. I scared to death. I can't even describe to you what it looked like. Knowing my son and my nephew were about to arrive where I was, I prayed for both of them. I said, God, they're about to see something like I've never seen. you got to help them. But when I began to lose so much blood that I began to black out. I thought, okay, this is it. And I actually whispered the words. I said, Lord, I'm coming home. I still had a peace. Wasn't happy about it. I was already thinking about it. Not getting to you, but, but I thought this is it. Well, God had other plans, but I want to tell you something. Once you get that close and you still have that peace in your heart that, you know, this business that I got going on with God, this relationship I have with Him, that thing's real. It's real. Oh, it's one thing to say, oh, if I came to the point of death, I'd face it like a giant. Yeah. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to be there. After that, you got a trust and a faith in God like you've never had in your life. Sometimes that's what suffering does for us. It helps us with that. Let's bow our heads. Great is your faithfulness, God.
you have been faithful to us. And Lord, you have given us your word. Lord, you blessed us with these general epistles, these shorter letters in the New Testament that help to warn the church about the days ahead. God, we know that we have some days ahead that are quite uncertain. I pray, God. I pray, Lord, we would take heed to what you have to say. I pray, God, that no matter what, we would determine in our hearts if it does cost us our life. It may not just cost us our life, though, Lord. It might cost us our pride or our dignity. It might cost us our place in a relationship, Lord. It, it, our feelings might get hurt, but Lord, whatever it is that comes our way, I pray, God, that, Lord, that we would give you the honor and the glory and that we would be willing to face whatever for your sake to glorify you, Lord. We thank you for reaching out to us, God, with encouragement. I'm not sure we could have handled a harsh word like you gave Jeremiah. But Lord, you helped him through even that. Today, Lord, you've come to us in the sweetness of your word. You've encouraged us today. You blessed us, Lord, with some servants of yours that we had never met until today. Lord, they lifted up our hearts and they prepared us for your word. And then you spoke it to us as a gentle shepherd. God, you know that's how we needed it. But I pray that you would keep preparing our hearts, Lord, for whatever we may face. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.